0: Amen. Um, so don't, don't sit down yet. Uh, so tonight, you get another packet. So, um, so you, you need a Bible, you need a pen, and you need one of the packets on any of the windowsills. And then spread out. Get some space so you can write. Go, go, go. You need a Bible, you need a pen, and you need a packet, and you need some space. All right, let's pray. Father, we have a long way to go tonight in this, in this message, and we're covering a huge topic. Um, so I pray for focus, I pray for attention spans to stretch, and I pray for you to speak um, and for you to bring clarity to what we believe. It's your sense, I pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 16, um, in verse, beginning in verse 13, it says, uh, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus comes up to his, his, his disciples and he just asks them a very clear question. Man, who are people, who are people saying that I am? I think that's a relevant question uh, even today. I think that, that Jesus could walk into the room and he could look at you and be like, hey, who are, I mean, who, people at Spartan, like who, who are people saying that I am right now? Like at, at your school, like, the majority of people, who do they, what do they say about me? Or if I'm, you know, I'm hanging out with the Bob Jones people, what's, what are, what are they saying about me over there? And so they list off some things, like, man, maybe some people say that you're like John the Baptist, come back from life, right? Like, maybe you're like a prophet or something, People have different things to say. I think that holds true today. I think that a lot of people have um, a variety of different things to say about the person of Jesus Christ. It's a lot of different opinions. Some of those opinions are founded in fact or truth, and some of them uh, are not so much. I think, um, majority of us in this room would say that we believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but we're not, we're not everybody on the planet, right? So outside of a group of people like this, I think the most common, the most common response I hear to that question is that he was a good teacher or or a really good person who kind of showed us a pattern of a way to live. Now, while that may be true, that's such a finite picture of, of who Christ is. That's just that's just not okay. That's not a big enough explanation to say Jesus was a good guy. Yeah, he had a lot of good things to say. He, he taught on some great stuff. He taught morality and truth and, and justice. But as far as that whole like God thing, that's, that's nah, I think that's just a bunch of fairy tales. C.S. Lewis um, has this quote in a book called Mere Christianity. Uh, it's, this, it's a pretty intense quote, so we're going we're to read it together. You can look it on the screen. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying... The really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. That they're, that they're ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't, I don't really accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, that's a weird thing to say, or else he would be the devil of hell. There's a lot of things that can be said about who the person of Christ is. But tonight, what I'm going to hopefully put together for us out of God's word is that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if he was anything but that, then what that means is that you have to reject the entirety of God's word and everything that Christ said. But if this book holds up, like we said last week, it holds up. we have to believe what the words that are in it will say about the person Jesus Christ and what they say is that he is unequivocally God and that fact changes everything for us so you got a packet and we're going through so the two big answers normally given up there at the top that he's either a good teacher or he's Lord that's like the two big headings yeah there's some other things people might say so we got we got the C.S. Lewis quote there on your packet and C.S. Lewis, combined with the two that we already talked about, gives us four like main options for things that Jesus could be. Like C.S. Lewis talked about that he could be a liar. But yeah, that you could suppose that that Jesus was just the chief of liars. Man, he just did a great job deceiving people and making stuff up and was just a liar. Maybe we maybe we can figure that one out. Or he was just flat nuts. Like he was just like. A little bit messed up and like his brain didn't quite work right he just thought he was a deity thought he was God and just in fact was not but to do either one of those two you've got to reject everything scripture says we'll get there in a minute the, the third one we've, we've mentioned is Lord that he could be he could actually be God that's another option right so third one's Lord and the last one we're going to add to C.S. Lewis's stuff we're going to say legend he could be a fairy tale he could be made up we like legends, man. We, I, 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 I like reading about people who chase legends like Loch Ness Monsters and Bigfoot and stuff. Do you ever read articles about these people? These really people get like so passionate about chasing Bigfoot around. There's a guy, what's his name? I wrote it down. His name's Rick Dyer. He, he claims to be the best Bigfoot hunter in the world, which is a prestigious title, best Bigfoot hunter in the world. He's a, he's a pretty you know, cool guy in his own mind. Um, this year, just like not... 30 years ago, like this year, Rick Dyer um, (laughs) released a news report that he had shot and killed a Bigfoot in North Texas. It's big news. Like it actually like got on news stations like, hey, Rick Dyer said he shot Bigfoot. He's like got it in his freezer at his house. Okay. (laughs) And then Rick Dyer said, hey, by the way, I sent some DNA to a university and they confirmed that it's like this weird like subspecies thing. Like it's legit. The university says so. I confirmed the DNA and everything cool all right maybe this dude like found some like sketchy bigfoot thing right and it kind of gets some news traction is showing up on I, I, can't, I read a lot of articles every day and kept showing up in my stuff. And between like January and April, there's all these articles about Rick Dyer and his Bigfoot uh, thing. And so then he's like, hey, you know what? Everybody's really excited about Bigfoot. I'm just gonna start like a tour. I'm just gonna tour around with my Bigfoot body. You know, I'm gonna keep him on ice because it might stink. We're on tour around with Bigfoot body and you just come see him. You can pay me like 10 bucks or whatever and just have a little sideshow thing and set up actual tour dates. Like there was museums that were scheduling Rick Dyer and Bigfoot to come and have a Bigfoot body lay in the thing. And like, hey, look, it's Bigfoot, right? People, people actually came and looked at Bigfoot body. <laughs> and they like, were staring at it. Hey, look, that's Bigfoot. And there's like this giant, like crazy looking Bigfoot body thing that looked real, laying in some ice. And they paid some money and saw the thing. And from January to April, Rick Dyer kind of kept up this, this legend until finally a little bit of evidence, kinda, a little bit of whispering started coming out and some people that had kind of be- behind the scenes sort of breaking a little bit. And finally Rick Dyer came back and was like, ah, gotcha. <laughs> ah, what? Turns out he did the same thing in 2008. 2008 did the same thing. It's like, hey, I shot Bigfoot, found him. Everybody believed it then. Two, four years later, we're just dumb people. I, I don't know. I just, hey, I got him again. <laughs> what? That's what people think about. A lot of people would say that Jesus is a legend. He is, he's like in the same thing with like Easter Bunny and fairy tales and, and Bigfoot. And that there was a law that was perpetuated and no one cracked and he's just, just we went we up with Jesus. If we believe that the word of God is the word of God. And last week, I don't know if any of you walked away with anything to argue against it being the Word of God, but I sure don't have anything to say. We talked about the the historical reliability of the Bible. We talked about how internal stuff in it where there was prophecies that were written before events occurred and they it happened in the exact way that God said they were going to happen. It's this beautiful, inspired Word of God that I can't find any cracks in. I haven't found anybody who can find any cracks in it. If we believe that this book is true, then we have to believe what it says about Jesus to be true, so we gotta know exactly what it says about him. Students, what you're going, I think I put that on your sheet, what you believe about Jesus will be determined by whether or not you believe the Bible is true. What you believe about Jesus will absolutely be turned by this. This is not something we're going to be able to build from some third-party sort of evidence. This is, not some, this is not a belief structure that we can garner from other things. This is when we have to dig down into God's Word and figure out exactly what it says about Jesus and hold to that. The person of Jesus Christ is the center pin, the, the cornerstone, the, only, like, the, the thing that matters most to our faith. And we've got to know exactly what God's Word has to say about it. Because there's people out there that think that our God was a liar, that he was just flat nuts, or that he's a fairy tale, And you have to have something to say. When you walk into a college classroom and, and you walk in as a professing believer, and maybe you get into a conversation with a, with a teacher or another student, and they're, they're like, really? You really don't think Jesus was, you don't really think, you don't, you don't think any of that miracle stuff is made up. Really? I want you to have something to say. I want you to have some, some truth from God's word where you don't just get swept away. You've got to know what God's word says about the person of Jesus Christ, who he is. I put four huge foundational passages in your packet. You got two pages full of text. There's only four passages. These are the four um, main Christological. Pa- Christological means uh, the ones that explain who Christ is. These are the four main Christological passages of the Bible that wrap up in the in the shortest, most succinct detail who Jesus was. If you want to know who Jesus is, start with these four passages. You got the John one, one through eighteen, and when. It begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and it starts describing Jesus, the one who was there before all things, the spoken eminence of God. Down in 11 and 12, it says, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. It sets him up as the Savior. In 14, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that, that Jesus lived here among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And 16, for, for from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, man, I, I, that's, that's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I highlighted the whole thing. I'm, I probably shouldn't read the whole thing for time's sake, but I wish I could. In verse 6, it says that, that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then goes on to say that he came obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. These passages go on to explain exactly who Jesus was and, and what he came for. And in, in pretty specific detail, it takes these, these four kind of take the, the, total, the total picture of the Gospels, the four Gospels, and, 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 and kind of zooms it in in a few sentences to kind of compact in who Jesus is. If you want to be able to explain who Jesus is and you want to have a couple of passages in your back pocket that you can kind of walk through somebody with or you can fall back on, these four are where you need to be. These are the four main passages I want you to look to. These might need to be ones that you keep in a note in your phone or, or something, like maybe a piece of paper in your wallet or your prayer. I don't know what you need to do, but I want you to have these four passages available for you to use. Because they go a long way in explaining the person of Christ. Colossians 1, man, it's talking about all things being created through him. And for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him, to reconcile all things to himself. We talked about that a few weeks ago and how he's the one who sustains all things. Hebrews 1 talks about how in the past that God spoke to us through prophets, but now he speaks through us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sin, he right, sat down at the right hand of God. That's, that's huge language stuff. That's, I know when you read that, when you, you can't just glance through those as quickly as I'm reading it to you, and you just absorb that. These are those passages you sit around and just stare at for half an hour, and you're still like, man, I made it through like 14 words. Uh, it, these are the ones that the more, the more time you spend with these passages, the more depth that God shows you out of them. These are ones that I just want you to take home and, and work through and, and like meditate on, just think on. Now, what is God, what is God saying to me about this? What do these four passages say about the person of Christ? But I do want to break it down a little bit for you and give you some handles. So on the back page, flip over there. Look at all those blanks. Man, it's going to be good. We're going to break it into three, three main sections. First thing I want you to know tonight is that Christ is fully human. That's that first one. Christ is fully human. I've got verses all the way down through there. Some of them I'm going to read, some of them I'm not, just because we're not going to have enough time to do all of them, but we're going to do the best we can. How's that sound? So Christ is fully human. He's not a God who is far off, who like kept his distance from us. He came here and dwelt among us. It starts with the, the whole virgin birth thing, like the Christmas. We're getting close to the Christmas time thing, man. We we put the uh, passage on there where it was explained that Jesus was going to come through the birth of Mary, born just like every one of you were born. It's fully human, and it goes on that Jesus had a uh, the next thing there. Jesus had a human body. He became tired. That's that, that's that third one. He became tired. That's John 4, 6. Says, uh, Jacob, this is when he's saying by Jacob's well, and he says, So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. He was just, he got worn out. Some of you come in, man, dragging from practice, or you just ran cross country or whatever, and you come in the greenhouse, stinky and nasty or whatever. Jesus understood what it meant to be tired. He understood what it meant to wear out. The next one, he became, he got thirsty, man. Just, that's John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing all was finished, said to fill the scriptures, I thirst. He's on the cross. He's thirsty. He's just, he's like you. He got hungry. It's the third one. And he died just like all of us die. Luke 23, 46, when Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into my hands, I commit your spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. He had a human mind. He increased in human wisdom. That's Luke two. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and affair with God and man. That's, that's, that's that transitional verse, going from when Jesus was a teenager to when he became an adult. They kind of skipped the whole adolescent stage. Increased in wisdom. Jesus had a human soul and he had human emotions. His soul was troubled. In John, where uh, is that? 12, John 12, 27. He says, This is Jesus talking. He says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come. In 13, 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He's looking at Judas in the face, and he's, he's troubled. He's broken over something. He felt emotions like sorrow. He marveled at things and he wept. I put the reference down there for Jesus wept for you just for fun in case you don't know what that verse says. It says Jesus wept. It's that one that all of you, you know, you're like, I know a verse. (laughs) That one, there it is. So Jesus, uh, he felt emotion. So Christ is fully human. Here's the overall point for that, that you have a savior who gets you you don't have this God who's like far off and just like sits off in some corner of the universe and has nothing to do with you. You have a God who, who sent his son here to be very much like you, who can identify with your struggles, who knows what it's like to be human, who absolutely understands you. He gets it. He's walked in it. He, he understands how difficult this life here can be better than any of us can understand. Took on the sin of all of us, man. Bore that burden. He understands what it means to carry a heavy weight. I can see the weight that you guys drag around with you from time to time. Jesus understands that weight. He knows what it means to be rejected. He knows what he means to be alone. He knows what it means to hurt. He's lived what you've lived. He gets you. That's incredibly comforting to me. So that my God was not, that my God loved me enough to come here to to understand what it was like to be me. You've got a God who, Jesus Christ who was fully human, but not only that, I think everybody, um, everybody could, would believe probably first that Jesus was fully human. I think it's what comes after that that causes people some trouble. That's where we get into the stuff of legend. So the next thing, Christ is fully divine. Christ is fully divine. So that first one there, I put you a ton of references that are all direct claims, right? Direct claims right there on A. Those are direct claims that, that Jesus was the Son of God, where the Bible explicitly says it. Either Jesus himself says it or, or another writer says it about Jesus. It's direct claims for Jesus being more than just a person. John 10, 30, uh, that's where Jesus says, I and the, I and the Father are one. Seventeen thirteen, uh, Jesus says, in this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent describing salvation putting jesus on the same level as as god himself and then john 20 28 thomas answered him this is when uh jesus has risen from the grave He's, he's appearing to the disciples and and thomas sees the holes in his hands and thomas falls on his knees and it says my lord and my god he didn't say my great teacher he didn't say hey awesome prophet hey fun guy to hang out with he said my lord and my god for us, I think that that's that's got to be our response to the deity of Christ. That He is more than just a person; He is God Himself. That that commands, that demands a response from us, exactly like Thomas says in John twenty twenty eight. We fall down in front of Him and say, "My Lord and my God." It, it, it requires us to be to submit ourselves to that. So there's there's you can look all the rest of those up, man. There's there's a lot of that's not even all of them. That's just the ones that we we put together this morning for you. Then John uh, eight fifty eight. Jesus starts saying things about himself. He says, um, before Abraham was, I am. He talks about John, the his words, and uh, John 1.15, which say that Jesus came before him. And then in C, I've got some stuff there for you about Jesus' divinity in action. Jesus' divinity in action, where he's actually doing stuff that only God can do. This goes back to what we talked about last week where, where there was these prophetic things that, that writers wrote down for the inspiration of God's word, where God inspired them to write this stuff down and then it actually happened just the way he said it did. We talked about that being proof of, of the Bible being more than just a book. So when Jesus does things that only God can do, that's proof of the deity of Christ. So um, we've got some, let's, let's look at this. So he taught with authority in Matthew seven twenty eight 28 and 29. They talk about the way that he taught that was unlike anybody else. He forgave sins. That's that's Mark 2, 5 through 10. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to this paralyzed guy, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. That's a word that that Jesus has spoken over a lot of us in the room who who have trusted him with our life where he's looked at us, he says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven and we've experienced the freedom of that. So he forgave sins. He claimed lordship over the Sabbath. He received worship. If you, I, think if, I think if Jesus was just a great teacher or a, a prophet of God, it wasn't God Himself? That would be incredibly um, heretical, I guess. I mean, you just don't let people worship you. You just don't. So if, if, if Jesus is receiving worship, like in Matthew fourteen thirty three and twenty eight nine, and John twenty twenty eight, if Jesus is allowing people to worship Him and He's not God, then that's pretty bad. That's just pretty terrible overall talks about the miracles that Jesus performed uh, to testify to his deity in John ten twenty four. 24. It says there's Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. He said, you've seen me do all this stuff. How else are you explaining what I can do? How else are you explaining that the blind are healed, that the, that the paralyzed can walk? That people are restored. That people, I mean, brought Lazarus back from the dead. Like, how else, you think I'm just like good at magic or something? What are you doing? What other sign do you want? He's saying this to people. And the fact that it's recorded, is that? We're just like, I'm not, I'm not doing any more tricks for you. Like, what else do you need to see? The fact that that was recorded, man, points to the fact to me that, that those words were said, that this stuff happened. If someone was writing a story and tried to make this up, I think they just would have left that out. He's identified as the creator in John 1, in Colossians 1, and identified as the sustainer in Hebrews 1, where we looked at earlier. So we have, this, we have this God who is fully human and he's fully divine. And you have a whole lot of work to do to go look at all these passages and study these on your own. Tonight's a night where I wanted to resource you. I don't want to answer all the questions for you. So if the, the, down there at the bottom, it says Christ is, Christ is the Savior. And there's two things that, that there's two like historical moments that, that really, that Christ being the Savior is dependent upon. There's two things. One's the cross. I'll give you Matthew 27 there. It's the account of Jesus being beaten, tortured, hung on a cross to die for us. To die in my place. So that's that's where I should have been. That was the punishment for my sin. And he got up there where I should have been and took it for me. Christ's Savior is dependent upon the cross, and it's dependent upon the empty tomb. I love how the Bible handles the empty tomb. I love that it talks about specific people who saw it. It gives an account of, of what order people showed up there, like in John 20. It gives an I mean, John and Peter running together, and, and Peter, you know, besides the tomb, and John runs, I mean, they're, they're describing the exact occurrence of events. This is how this happened. Like, there's so much detail in that, and it's just, it's so, it's almost like they understood that this was going to be so unbelievable to people that they had to kind of, they had to make sure they put all the detail in it they could for us. And then when it just describes Jesus having, having, Come back from the dead, and he's, he talks about the people that he appeared to. And I love it when it says there's over 500 other people he appeared to it. And you can go ask them, go ask them about it. I mean, they're writing this so soon after after Jesus came back. They're writing it so soon that they're like, you know, the folks that have seen him. You go ask them about it. If you don't, if you don't believe this happened, go ask them. Man, I know that we would love to go ask them, but we have a Bible that that is, for me, has proven trustworthy. That I've evaluated it, man, I've held it up to whatever questions I might have through my life, and it stood up against every one of them. What it won't stand up to is laziness and you just trusting somebody else blindly. So many times when, when students come and ask me, ask me questions about, man, I, I have a question about the Bible or I have a, I have something that somebody, somebody told me the Bible's not. not true or there's this inaccuracy or something. I'm like, wait, have you looked into that? No. Okay. Are you going to? Well, I am just going to ask you about it. And that's great. I mean, I'm glad that you came and asked me about it. I'm glad you asked your small group leaders. But man, if, if you're willing to have a conversation with a friend or somebody who's a detractor of, of God's word or a detractor of your God, it seems like you would be the one who would take the initiative to go and do something about it. I want you to be so well-informed on this stuff that you're the one who can have something to say. That when someone calls calls you out, like, you really believe that? Yeah. And there's no fear there anymore. You're not afraid of somebody asking you a tough question about your faith because you actually have something to stand on. You have to do enough work to have something to stand on or you will be wiped away. That was so many of my friends in college, man that didn't, didn't have a strong foundation. And then when difficult questions were asked of them, they didn't have anything to say. And then the embarrassment of that, say, hey, I've been a Christian for 10 years now. I'm a freshman in college. I shouldn't know this stuff. I'm so embarrassed that I'm not gonna go ask anybody. And you know where their faith is now? Because I don't. It got real bad real fast for a lot of my friends. And those aren't people that, when I go back to Tuscaloosa and we go to trash parties or you know, uh, elephant thing, white elephant trash swap party with our friends from high school and stuff. There's people there that, that were in my student ministry growing up who never, who never invested themselves in understanding what they believe and being able, being able to defend it and articulate it well. And I, I mean, if, and if we're just talking and hanging out at these Christmas parties, I'm like, hey, you guys, you guys going to church anywhere? No, no. We've kind of been out for a while. and You know, it's just, we're busy. We're busy, you know. You can kind of see this dullness come over them. It's almost as if they're, they're thinking back in their head that time when that, that biology professor put something in their head that they couldn't respond to and instead of doing something active and going and figuring it out, they just got lazy and just assumed they were right. And they traded their relationship with God for emptiness because of their laziness. Don't let that be you. Students, by the authority of God's word, I wanna tell you tonight that Jesus Christ was more than a person. He was God himself. That he came into this place to, to live a perfect life and to give himself up for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And if you'd trust him, that you'd accept that gift, that he'd wipe you clean. That he'd restore that relationship with God that you were intended to have from the very beginning. I know a lot of you have done that, but I know there's several of you in the room who haven't. As, as, as big as our group is, man, there's always gonna be five, six, seven of y'all that that's just not you yet. You haven't made that choice. I would, I would beg of you, man, before you leave here tonight, come and talk to me or a small group leader or just tell one of your friends, say, what's this whole Jesus thing about for real? Just, can we talk about this? No one's going to pressure you into anything. We just want to answer questions for you. I want you to be the kind of people who can answer those questions. Let me pray for you. Father, um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for our students that um, they are smart, intelligent people. And that you've given, us, um, you've given us your word. And you've given us the ability to read it, and understand it, and hold it in our hands. Don't let us remain ignorant to it. God, by your spirit, compel us to be the kind of men and women who know your word well, who know what we believe, and who have something to say. In Jesus' name, amen.